1: There's an almond milk out there that Granola is dying to spoon with. An almond milk that gets spicy avocado toast all hot and bothered. An almond milk that cookies everywhere can't wait to dip their chips in. Its name? So Delicious Organic Almond Milk with Cashew. Why exactly is Granola so giddy for this refreshing drink? Well, for starters, it's as gluten-free as that new bakery down the street. It's certified vegan and non-GMO project verified. Granola also loves that it has seven or fewer ingredients and comes in three amazing flavors. Vanilla, original, and unsweetened. And if that's not enough, the bottle itself is made of at least 80% plants, which is 100% awesome. Clearly, if this almond milk is the stuff of granola's dreams, it should be the stuff of yours, too. One step is all it takes to realize that nothing compares. So visit sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash allthebooks today to learn more. Again, that's sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash allthebooks. If granola had hands, he'd visit now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 152, and today we are talking about books being released on April 3rd, 2018 and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi! Hello there! Is it snowing where you are? Uh, It snowed for like two seconds, and then it stopped, which was nice, because it was like spring all weekend. Flowers came up, grass turned green... Little animals running everywhere, you know. No, I made that last part up, which makes me, which makes me sound even more disturbed. I feel so bad for everyone in New York because they're
0: buried under like six inches of snow, which is not really buried in the grand scheme of things. But in April, it is. Those yeah, are my feelings. It's very strange.
1: Mhm. But you're, so you're my kids on, are here. Yeah, because you're on school vacation.
0: Yeah, a spring break is happening, so I have three children in my house. One of them is seventeen and it's fine, but the seven-year-olds are downstairs playing video games very loudly,
1: and well, I hold know. up in my room. <laughs> she can just pick one of them up and hit the other one with him. She could and keep she them could under just control, shock them into silence.
0: Yeah, that, <laughs> that would be amazing. I did the whole. I have to go upstairs and record something, so I need you guys to be quiet. I came up here, I shut my door, and immediately started hearing screaming. I was like, okay, well, that lasted a good thirty
1: seconds. They tried. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay. I don't know how you do it. I can't even get my cats to listen to me. <laughs> they Maybe. have, like, the springtime zoomies right now. It's like you just see a blur, and, like, a second later, you hear their nails on the floorboards, <laughs> it's like, going that fast. They're like, I Floof. mean, me
0: too. I also have the springtime zoomies.
1: <laughs> well, there are lots of amazing springtime books, so shall we discuss them? <clears throat> Let's do it. All right. My first pick is actually a reissue, But it's so awesome. It's totally deserving of a shout-out. It's called Meaty. They're essays by Samantha Irby. She is the fabulous, fabulous writer who wrote the essay collection last year, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. She's the curator and writer of the Bitches Gotta Eat blog. Um, And she is one of the funniest humans on the planet. Like, without a doubt. She is one of my favorite people. And... This is, you know, more of the same of, if you read, like, We Were Never Meeting in Real Life, except, like, backwards in time, because these were written first, so, like, her life is at a very different place back when these came out. But she has, like, the funniest and most relatable thoughts, like, that I myself cannot articulate. I love it when you read a writer and you're like, yeah, that's how I feel, except I can't make those words come out of my mouth to make any sense. You know, she's just so smart and hilarious. And there's great essays about love and being single and money, dieting, thumb-sucking... Her disease. She has Crohn's disease, um, and she's basically talking about like what it's like to try and be what is considered a normal adult. You know, with all these issues um, that everyone experiences, but like none of us feel like we're we're succeeding very well at what at what we're doing, or I should say, most of us. You know, feel that way. Like we're not like everyone else, but it turns out everyone feels that way. Um, and she does a really great job getting that across. You know, there's also a lot of oversharing, which is one of the best things about her. Like she is filthy and so hilarious. Uh, so the cover is bright pink and it has a little cute hedgehog on it, um, but do not give this to children. Just, <laughs> just the chapter titles alone is, it's just amazing. I started reading the chapter titles and I was like, oh boy, are we in for it. But it's kind of fun to read it knowing like where she is now. Um, and, and it's like, reading backwards because like a lot of stories you know you read a story and you don't get to find out what happens after and so you kind of read this backwards and you like know that like this is how her life is turning out now and these are the things that have have happened and it's really great also there, uh this is the basis for an fx series that is coming i don't know when but um i'm so on board for that and i want to be her bff like i was like when i read her i think i want to be her best friend and then when i look at her good Goodread- goodreads reviews Um most everyone is saying that. They're like, I want to be best friends with her. (laughs) Um, Like, I understand that like we would be best friends who both understand that we would rather not leave the house. So that's cool. It's that kind of relationship. Um she's just she's so great. And so again, this one is called Meaty Essays by Samantha Irby.
0: Okay, my first pick is also nonfiction and it is called Make Trouble: Standing Up, Speaking Out, and Finding the Courage to Lead, and it's by Cecile Richards. And I love this book so much. Cecile Richards is the president of Planned Parenthood, though she did just recently resign. And I don't know that she's announced what she's doing next. And everybody's just kind of waiting for her to say that she's running for some office in Texas. But so far, we don't know. But she is the president of Planned Parenthood. She's also the daughter of the um, Ann Richards, who is the late governor of Texas. Um, and so this is her memoir uh, of her life growing up in Texas in a very like radically liberal family, In Texas. So you can imagine what that was like. Uh, And then her life as an early activist, how she got started in progressive politics, what her career was like, and then how she ended up at Planned Parenthood. And it covers her time at Planned Parenthood, including the infamous testifying before Congress, which I'm sure many of you remember, that Fox had Fox News like ranting about how she didn't wear pantyhose for like, an entire 48 hour news cycle. It was ridiculous. Um anyway, she's great. She's one of like my personal heroes. I love her so much. And it was so interesting to read about how she got started in politics because her history is in unionization and um labor rights stuff, which I did not I didn't realize. I mean, I didn't know anything about her life before she started working at Planned Parenthood. But when she left college, she started immediately working as a labor organi- organizer and spent all of her time organizing like women who worked in healthcare in Texas, who worked in nursing homes, factory workers, um, helping them earn, you know, trying to earn a living wage, helping them organize unions. Um, and then she spent a lot of time helping her mother with her political career, running for governor of Texas successfully the first time, not successfully the second time, um, and then starting her own Various nonprofits after her mom left office. Um, and specifically, uh, textbooks in Texas started coming under attack from a lot of conservative censorship groups that wanted to put creationism and a bunch of other nonsense into textbooks. So she started just out of her living room, started a nonprofit to combat that, uh, to combat censorship, uh, censorship and basic alternative facts in textbooks. Uh, and she makes it sound like just so easy. And then I started a nonprofit, like just out of nowhere and it's just amazing like this is just how her brain works um and then how she went from that to getting involved in more national politics and then eventually working at Planned Parenthood um and what the new not new obviously but the the extremely shockingly vitriolic attacks on women's health care especially in recent years especially under this administration um have meant for Planned Parenthood what she did to bring the organization kind of into the 21st century their their website was terrible before she started working there like you couldn't find a doctor you couldn't like search for a local Planned Parenthood on their website before she started working there which seems like such like duh, (laughs) like so obvious common sense website design, but that was not the case before she took over. And she's really made uh, Planned Parenthood, it was already an amazing organization that provided healthcare to women from all kinds of economic backgrounds and racial backgrounds, and she's made it just so much better. Um, So I'm really interested to see what she does in the future. Her memoir is definitely worth reading if you're at all interested uh, in the history of Planned Parenthood, or women's rights, or politics, or you just want to read an inspirational story of a, progress- of a progressive woman who's been, like, fighting the fight her entire life. Um, so that's Make Trouble by Cecile Richards.
1: Awesome. Um, so... I just want to tell you one thing because I wanted to share this when I was talking about the Samantha Irby book and then I brought it up on my phone and then I dropped my phone on the floor before, uh, before I started speaking. So um, the dedication to the Meaty Essays Collection is this book is dedicated to that kid Maurice in my U.S. history class junior year who called me an effing idiot. Lol, bruh. <laughs> well like done. The, Good job. Mic drop. Uh, <laughs> and now, moving on. Uh, let me tell you about our first sponsor. Today's first sponsor is Mun Mun by Jesse Andrews. It's M-U-N-M-U-N, all one word. Um, it is an a alternate reality book. It says, In an alternate reality, every person's physical size is directly proportional to how much mun mun, or money, they have. Billionaires are the size of skyscrapers, and the poorest are as small as rats. For Warner and his sister, Prayer... Being small and poor isn't only demeaning, it's dangerous. Every day is a constant struggle for survival, not only to get basic needs like food, but also because they are in danger of being stepped on by bigger, richer people. Their only hope is to get mun mun and get bigger, but how do they succeed in a world built against them? And Jesse Andrews is the New York Times bestselling author of Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And this concept of the book, it sort of presents the realities of economic inequality in a very physical and visceral way. Um, It also uses an invented language with words like little poor and big rich to completely immerse the reader in this strange but somewhat familiar word. So, again, it's called Mun Mun, and it is by Jesse Andrews. We thank them for sponsoring. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, And it's my turn again! Yay! Uh, My next pick is The Oracle Year by Charles Soule. He is a best-selling comic book writer, He's worked on Daredevil, Wolverine, She-Hulk, Darth Vader, Lando, so many other things. Uh, this is his debut novel, um, and basically, what happens is this list appears on Reddit, um, and it this it's like a list of predictions, and people are like, "What is this nonsense?" You know, like nobody's like paying any attention. And it says like these certain things are going to happen, and what by the time the list comes out, two of the things have actually already happened in the way that this list is is discussing. And people are like, hmm. And then more things on this list uh, come true, and all of a sudden everybody's like, who is this person who wrote this list, and how do they know the future? Um, it was it was posted anonymously, and it turns out that. The list was posted by a man named Will Dando. He's sort of like this ordinary guy living in New York City. He's a bassist. Um, he's he's pretty much, you know, sort of just an every guy. And one day, like, as it happens in these sort of stories, he woke up and he had 108 predictions in his head. Now, like, he not only does he know things, but he has all his own questions. Like... What does he do with all this info? Like, how did it get there? What does, will this info do if he shares it with the world? Um, what is this info worth? And why him? Like, why does he have it? And also, how long can he remain hidden? Because now everyone is calling the person who put up the list the Oracle. Um, and like I said, he decided to share some of the predictions. Not all 108 of them, but he decided to share some of them. Uh, and now the world is clamoring to find out who he is and how he knows. And it's just a really a fast-paced... Speculative thriller, um, but, but you cannot predict the ending unless you are an oracle yourself. Um, it's just one of those really fun, like, ordinary person becomes gifted stories. Um, and he basically does what I think most of us would do with this kind of information he tries to monetize it. Like, he decides he's gonna, you know, try and get as much money as he possibly can for it. Um, but it, it'll, you know, asks all these great questions and it's really fun. So, again, it's called The Oracle Year and it's by Charles Soule.
0: Okay, my next pick is Waiting for Tomorrow. This is by Nathacha Appana and it's translated by Jeffrey Strachan from the French. And this is a new book from uh, Grey Wolf and it's just, it's like little, it's less than 200 pages and it's packed such a punch. It's about a couple named Anita and Adam. And when the book opens, Anita is waiting for Adam to get out of prison and then you spend the rest of the book figuring out how he got there and um, what like crime he could have possibly committed. And then, and also flashing back to how they met and all of the events that led up to their marriage, their relationship, and then him ending up in jail. Um, so they met 20 years before the book opens at a New Year's Eve party in Paris, where they both felt very out of place, both in the city and in this party in particular. Um, Adam is from like the French provinces he's kind of a, I guess like a French version of a country bumpkin he doesn't really fit in in this very like cultured and sophisticated city or with this crowd um, and Anita is an immigrant from the island of Mauritius which is off the coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean uh, and they meet and so she feels you know she's uh, she also feels out of place for different but kind of similar reasons just outsiders they meet they fall in love they get married and they move to his home village in southwestern France um, where he has dreams of, like, building them a cottage from his, with his own hands. Um, and, you know, she has dreams of writing the great next, you know, international best-selling novel. Uh, she gets pregnant, and that none of that happens. Adam kind of abandons his love of painting and becomes a kind of pedestrian architect. And Anita spends most of her time caring for their child and freelancing for a local paper as opposed to writing any sort of brilliant fiction at all. Um, and the monotony of their life kind of wears on them and their creativity. They don't have any creative outlets. Uh, And then Adele arrives into their lives. She's an undocumented immigrant, also from Mauritius, who who, um, Anita meets when she's on assignment one day, and they hire her to care for their daughter. And so this, like, her presence sparks these new creative energies in both Anita and Adam. He starts painting, she starts writing, but they're painting and writing things from Adele's life that she, like, tells them in confidence and then when she finds out that they violated her privacy in this way, everything explodes. And it leads to the situation that ends up with Adam being in jail. So in, like, this little novel, she is packing so much into it. Immigration experiences, what it's like to get married to somebody from a different culture than you, uh, feminist issues, caring for children, and how that mental and emotional labor almost always falls to the woman, no matter what sort of job structure the couple has in, you know, cis, heteronormative couples. Um and then also these ideas of like creative theft of like, can you write about people in your life without their permission or without them knowing? Because of course we, of course you can. And <laughs> like, of course you can make paintings about people that you meet in your life. But is it different when they come from less privileged backgrounds? Like at what point are you taking advantage of people and the ethical questions that surround that? She's all, she's addressing all that in this like just little novel. Her writing is really elegant and quiet and these big giant questions just sneak up on you kind of smack you in the head and it's just so great and it's really incisive uh and biting when it comes to like that kind of bougie artistic class that every culture has um and that we certainly have here that publishing certainly has uh so I really enjoyed that too because I always do like a little bit of sarcasm so that's Waiting for Tomorrow by
1: Nathacha Apada that is what I'm going to read as soon as we're finished here Yay! It's so like, good. <laughs> it sounded like it was like a 500-page book just listening to you to discuss it. And it's so tiny! But I love Grey Wolf, so I'm, I'm really excited to read it. Um, speaking of Grey Wolf, they published The Empathy Exams, which is one of my favorite books from several years ago. And I am so excited that this new book by Leslie Jamison is out today. It is called The Recovering, Intoxication, and Its Aftermath. Um, just... Up front, I'm just going to say, I basically can't talk about Leslie Jamison without sounding, like, a fangirl. Like, <laughs> it, I just go, ah, just, like, fawn all over her writing because she's so amazing. Like, here I go, just like that. Um, but this this is an incredible, like, memoir as history, like, in-depth examination of addiction. Uh, she examines her own addiction. She was uh, an alcoholic, um, and but she also examines uh, the history of addiction and recovery Um, she looks at a lot of historical figures whose lives were shaped by addiction, Um, writers in particular, um, like, what their life was like when they were drinking versus what their life was like when they were sober. Um, And she talks about, like, why we do things that we know are bad for us. Um, You know, like, people always warn you about the dangers of drinking and doing drugs and smoking and all stuff, but yet we still, like, all do them. You know, almost all of us do one or another at some time, you know. And and we're living in this ever-growing country of addiction where, you know, it's, it's a crisis all the time. Um, and her writing is just so transcendent and she's brutally honest about her own experiences. And it basically, if you yourself are not an addict or have been an addict, you know somebody who was touched by alcohol or drug addiction. Um, this affects everyone and it's a very smart book. Um, and, you know, it might, like, depending on your experiences, it might be hard for you to read, but she presents it in just this amazing, smart way. Um, I just, I absolutely loved it. And again, it is called The Recovering Intoxication and Its Aftermath by Leslie Jameson, who is amazing.
0: <laughs> she is, yes. Um, yeah, Grey Wolf. Just love them. I'm going to talk about our next sponsor, which is. Right on. Yeah. The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind by Barbara K. Lipska. Uh, This is a nonfiction book uh, about her experience with cancer. So as a deadly cancer spread inside of her brain, Barbara, who is herself a leading neuroscientist, was plunged into madness and only and she miraculously survived Somehow, with all of her memories intact. So this is kind of in the tradition of *My Stroke of Insight* and *Brain on Fire*. If you read those books, it's a powerful memoir that recounts her ordeal and explains the unforgettable lessons that she learned about the brain and the mind. So Lipska is the uh, she's the director of the Brain Bank at the National Institute of Mental Health, and is one of the world's leading experts on the neuroscience of schizophrenia and other mental illnesses. And until now, nobody in like the scientific record has come back from dementia to tell people what it's like to live and experience dementia. So it is kind of, you know, ironic that Lipska is the person who has that distinction. And so this turned into like a vital resource about mental illness. Um, So again, if you really liked uh, Brain on Fire, which I loved and is another book about having just being like plunged into total madness and then coming back from it except she doesn't have those memories um then you will really enjoy this and it, it's being blurbed as Oliver Sacks meets when breath becomes air so if either of those things appeal to you then you definitely want to check this out so that's the neuroscientist who lost her mind by Barbara K Lipska Okay, it is my turn again. And I am so excited to tell you all about this book. I love it so much. Yeah. It's Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, who is, I should say, a former Book Riot contributor um, <clears throat> for like what am I disclosure purposes. This is a historical fiction YA novel about a black teenage girl who slays zombies in Reconstruction Civil War era America. Like, what else do you need? <laughs> what more do you want from me? So, the main character's name is Jane. And she is born two days before zombies come to life on the battlefields of Gettysburg and Chancellorsville. So she grows up as the zombie horde, essentially overruns America right at like the cusp of the Industrial Revolution and this huge historical moment in our history. Um, So the Civil War stops because, you know, there are zombies now. So we have other problems. Um, And the armies, instead of fighting each other on the battlefield, turn to getting rid of the zombie threat. Um, but that does not, of course, mean that the racial issues in the U.S. are over. <laughs> of course they're not. Um, the s- slavery is outlawed uh, in America, but systemic oppression and institutionalized racism still very much exists. So Jane herself comes from, she's the child of a white woman, which is an interesting choice uh, on Justina's part because it's usually child black children of male plantation owners, but she's the child of a female plantation owner um, and is hidden. Her mom like hides her away because all black girls are required by the Native and Negro Reeducation Act to attend combat schools to learn how to fight zombies. And so her mom hides her for a while until she's about 14. She can't do it anymore. So Jane is sent off to one of these combat schools where all of these children are required to go. And they are, are trained on how to kill on how to slay zombies, which you would think would be useful, except they do it so that they can become attendants, which are black and native girls who are good at this sort of physical um, violence, who are hired out to wealthy white women and their families to protect them. They're essentially bodyguards. Uh, This is not what Jane wants to do. She's not good at like etiquette or fashion or any of these sorts of things that you also have to train in in order to get a job as an attendant, despite the fact that it's well-paid and it's like a good opportunity, good quote, opportunity for her. She don't want to do that. She wants to finish her education at this combat school and then go home and to Kentucky and see how her family's doing and be with her family and her mother and all of that. Um, that's not how it turns out. She gets wind of a conspiracy that's happening in Baltimore where she is attending school. Um, a lot of families who are very friendly to black people in the city are disappearing. And she gets invited to the mayor's house. The mayor of Baltimore is part of the, I don't remember the name of the political party, but it's essentially the modern GOP. Like their slogan is make America strong or something like that. Um, and their goal is to return the U.S. to its pre-Civil War state so that we can be stable and defend ourselves from the incoming horde of unwanted zombies. Might as well say immigrants and that little metaphor that she's making right there. Um, so she gets invited to the mayor's house, and he discovers that she she knows more than she should about these families that are disappearing. And he ships her off to the, to the West, to the Wild West, um, to serve as a zombie fighter out there. And then she gets even more embroiled in this bigger, structuralized, racist conspiracy um, that will feel very familiar to anyone who is uh, li- alive. I don't know. <laughs> like, you're going to get it. This is not something subtle that Justine is doing. But it's so fun. Like, she's making these big statements about systemic oppression and racial racial history in the US. Um, she's doing all of these things that that will feel so relevant because none of these problems have gone away in the 160 years since the war, right um, But also zombies like slaying and fight scenes and super badass characters and lots of action and Jane is hilarious and snarky and just doesn't care and there's lots of fun um, side characters. It's very entertaining. It's the first and I think gonna be a series. So I'm really excited about it. And the cover is amazing. So I Oh the cover. It's so good, right? Like I don't buy books, like I'm just gonna say that, because you know, I'm sent books by publishers and I don't really have a need to. Also I use my library. But as soon as I finished reading this galley, I pre ordered it and it is coming to me tomorrow. So like go read it. So that's Dread Nation by Justina Ireland.
1: How long before this is a movie? Really? Or a TV show? I mean,
0: five seconds. It's gotta, it's gotta be. I hope it blows up. Like, oh, it's so fun and great and just, oh, I love it. <laughs> it.
1: I mean, the news has to be, it's gotta be coming or going to be announced soon. I just feel it. I hope you're right. Yes. My last pick today is Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. Big, big fan of his previous novels. And I adored this one. Just a real fun, loving novel. It's about a young man named Mike. Uh, he lives in Washington, and Mike is a few years out of high school, and he's been working as a landscaper, he or a lawn boy, um, and he gets fired from his landscaping job. And even with his landscaping job, Mike realized, like, his life is going nowhere fast, and he really wants to change his life. But how do you do that with everything that's going on, with the economy, with, you know, prejudice, everything? Um, So he goes on like this kind of journey of self-discovery and it's like a novel about the inequality in America Um, and you know he's struggling and the other characters that you meet are you know struggling to make ends meet in the shadow of the elusive American dream like does the American dream actually exist anymore and it's it's really really fun and you know it's full of hard truths I mean it's 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 definitely full of hard truths about being alive in the 21st century um, but it's also, you know, Jonathan Evison is, is funny and it can be lighthearted and it's, you know, just this very poignant, relatable novel full of charming characters. Like I just adored it to pieces. Um, so again, it's called Lawn Boy and it's by Jonathan Evison.
0: Okay, um, that dinging noise that you're hearing is my children opening my door to let my dog out. That's I my was alarm. wondering. I know. I thought, it was
1: my, I thought it was me the first time. I was like, did I push something? <laughs> you no, know, it's my my
0: home alarm system dings when you open the, the front and back doors and they're letting my dog out. So I'm sorry about that, everyone. Uh, okay, so my last pick is The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer, which is one of my most anticipated – was was one of my most anticipated books of the year. Not was because I didn't like it. I loved it. I'm just saying was because it is now out. Um, So I actually went into this knowing nothing except that I love Meg Wolitzer. I love The Interestings and Beljar. Her books are great. um, And I knew that it was sort of about feminism somehow. And that's all that I had heard. And I actually tried pretty hard to not um, get any more information about it because I kind of just wanted to go in and see what she was doing. And it's so interesting. It's a book about feminism and mentorship And female friendships. Um, And it's told from the perspective of Greer, who is a college freshman when we meet her. She's very shy. Um, She has trouble, like, speaking up for herself. And then she meets Faith Frank, who is kind of a, she's like a second, a really famous second wave feminist. She's kind of a Gloria Steinem figure in this book, um, who comes to speak at Greer's college campus. She hasn't, and Greer doesn't have, like, she's not politically active. She's not, you know, any of that sort of thing. She's just a bookworm doing her classes, like, doing the thing. She has a boyfriend back at home who she deeply, deeply loves who is at Princeton, and they're going to get married, and she's going to be a writer. Like, this is just her plan. She meets Faith. She has this moment, this, like, interaction with her that sets her down this completely different path, um, where she gets out of college, and contacts faith for a job she like discovers feminism when she's in college and then when she graduates she gets a job uh, with faith frank who is running this new feminist um what do you call it foundation where they do like feminist summits and have speakers come in and they have they're backed by a billionaire venture capitalist which offers its own sort of complications and they use the money to like rescue women from human trafficking and all this sort of thing so like greer has found, like, a purpose, right? Like, she's got this job. She's got this amazing mentor in this really famous feminist. And then things totally fall apart. Um, her boyfriend experiences this big tragedy. His life doesn't um, project on, like, the trajectory that Greer expected it to. And as she becomes more powerful and influential in the world, Corey, her boyfriend, becomes less so on purpose um, through, like, choices of his own. And then eventually her relationship with with Faith experiences some bumps and Greer kind of has to go out on her own. And you know that. That's not a spoiler. You know that from the beginning that, that Greer goes on to become sort of really well-known in feminism in her own right, but you don't really know why. Um, so Meg, who, her like, she's writing such interesting and, like, very insightful things about millennial feminism, which as a millennial feminist, <laughs> I um, was, like, very interested in. Um, but she is so cutting and you know meg herself is a baby boomer i assume just like looking at her profile i don't know how old she is but she's i would say second wave right feminism but she knows exactly what she's talking about and like her criticisms of each wave are uh spot on um and also like the complications that come with commercial feminism which is very much what we're dealing with right now is like branded selling stuff wrapped up in capitalist um uh systems uh does that really help is that really helpful does that really move the cause forward like she's asking all of those questions um it's not a particularly intersectional book every character every major point of view character in the book is white she ex- there is a her boyfriend is portuguese and her best friend is a lesbian so that's about as intersectional as you're going to get here but she does address that like she has the characters talk about their own whiteness their own privilege the whiteness and the uh, the whiteness of um most famous feminists you know, she talked. I mean, white feminism is just a thing she's talking about. So it's just like, it's interesting. It's not without problems. And there were a couple of times that I was like, oh, I wish you would talk about that more. Um, and of course, if she had written the book from the point of view of a black feminist, I probably just wouldn't have read it because I prefer to read own voices when it comes to stuff like that. So I don't know, like there's, it just made me ask a lot of questions of my own, my own feminism. And it's, it's, it's big. It's, you know, 450 pages, I would say, but I read it in like two sittings. Her writing is just, it just flows. And I remember that from The Interestings where she's doing these, asking these huge questions about creativity and growing up and your, you know, the American dream. But you read it so fast because she's just so chatty. Like her writing style is so accessible and like chatty seems like a a word that isn't serious because she is a serious, you know, like serious literary writer. Um, But it's not hard. (laughs) Like I didn't put forth any effort into getting through the writing at a sentence level, I put forth effort into considering the ideas she was talking about, which is what I think that really good writing should be. So, anyway, that's The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer.
1: Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, what are you going to read next?
0: Um, I Just Started Sick by Porochista Kakpor, which is, it comes out in June, and it is her memoir. I think it's her first work of nonfiction. I've read her novel, um... That I can't remember the name of, but has a feather on the front cover. <laughs> anyway, she's an Iranian American uh, novelist and now memoirist who has really advanced late stage Lyme disease and has been sick with that her entire life, like since her earliest memories from childhood. Um, and has been in and out of hospitals, hundreds of thousands dollar- of thousands of dollars of medical bills. She experiences a lot of um, racism and sexism in the medical field, specifically because of her illness and yeah I'm just I've, I've just started it I'm like 20 pages in and I'm already just like hooked on her story um so that's what I'm reading next what about you yours is way different
1: <laughs> uh, well I can tell you what I'm not going to be reading and it makes me so mad is Honey Badgered by <laughs> Shelley Lawrenceston, which I just heard about this morning it's a supernatural romance novel about shape-shifting honey badgers <laughs> Um, so I did go out, and I ordered it from my local Indian, and they're going to have it for me on Friday, so I have to wait. Um, but I just wanted to let everyone know that that is a thing that exists. And apparently, uh, from what I hear Shelley Lawrence, Lawrenceston is an amazing romance writer, or an amazing writer in general. And uh, so hopefully it's fantastic, and I can check out some more. Um, so what I am going to read is the book that you were talking about a couple weeks ago... <laughs> That I went out and bought immediately because I couldn't resist. Uh, the Beauty by Elia Whitley, Whitley, whiteley, um, which is about plant women, is that correct? Mushroom ladies. Yeah. Mush- oh, mushroom people, that's right. Like, I basically, I just saw your thing and I was like, I need this. And I haven't looked at it since then, so.
0: Yeah, it's like, I put it on Instagram and the caption was like, fungal feminist mushroom horror? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, so. I'm looking forward to that.
0: I am so uh, interested in what you think about that book. Please tell me.
1: I like crazy weird plant books, so okay. I'm psyched. Um, so that said, that's it for today. <laughs> Thank you again to all our sponsors, uh, So Delicious Dairy Free, Mun Mun by Jesse Andrews, and The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind by Barbara K. Lipska. We will we'll have links to all of those in the show notes, um, They and those books are available now wherever books are sold Uh, if you have something you would like to share with us some burning questions uh photos of your cats uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. also if you have questions for us uh, all four of us are going to be on the anniversary show in may Um, So you can uh, send us a question. You can find us on Twitter. I am Miss Liberty, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Uh, And if you so desire and you want to do us a solid, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book listeners to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more books now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash allthebooks, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. So, Amanda, do you have anything you'd like to add? No man. I'm good. I put him on the spot. (laughs) Well, all right then. In the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.